I want to first start off by saying big thank you to all the wonderful people who are supporting the Patreon for this podcast. They are getting some awesome bonus stuff, like special recordings, sneak peeks of artwork and other projects that I'm working on, and they are helping grow this podcast. They are helping move towards the goal of providing transcriptions so that deaf people can take part in these conversations. And they are also helping support the work that I do, running down guests, getting people on the show, coordinating people in different time zones and on other sides of the planets. And finally, they're helping improve the production value of this podcast by allowing me to start considering acquiring better equipment and get away from some of the janky duct tape together process I've been doing for a long time. If you dig the podcast, jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp and pitch in. Every dollar helps. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I have back for our annual conversation, Barbara Moore. Uh, if you have not listened to the previous uh, episodes, check them out in the show notes and maybe even consider stopping here and rolling back and going to listen to those. Um, I find it hard to imagine the people who don't know who you are, Barbara, but in case they don't, who are you? Oh, yes. Gosh, I haven't answered this in a while. I've forgotten my usual answer. I am um, a tarot reader, a tarot deck creator, a tarot author, a tarot teacher, and I also do some work for Lo Scarabeo, an Italian uh, tarot deck publisher. And I also do the acquiring and project management of Llewellyn's tarot uh, projects, uh, kits and books. So that is uh, probably what most people know me for. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think that what I'd like to start with is a lot's been going on since we had our last conversation. There have been... Mm -hmm huge changes in your life um and that started really with like an unusual sort of shift in your relationship yes it sure did and it this um the story actually started it was just starting during our last conversation but it wasn't time to talk about it It was too soon so Mm -hmm. it actually began um well, if we're going to give it a, a point, we'll say October 2016, although, of course, like all stories, it started a little bit before then. So I'll try to condense the story, and then we can um, unpack different parts of it if we want to. So the um, beginning of the story started um, sometime earlier in 2016, maybe even in 2015. And what started happening is um, my wife... Um, was starting to feel very um, discontented with her life with, and started questioning um, ideas about herself, who she is versus what she'd been taught to be. Um, And this included behaviors and habits, as well as the way she presents herself to the world and moves through the world. And her um, way to deal with that for about a year and a half was to say, we needed to move. And 
I, okay, two things were going on. One, the housing market was really bad and we were underwater um, mortgage-wise at that time. Also, I felt very, very rooted in um, my home and I didn't want to move. So although we kind of played with those ideas, it really, they didn't, uh, it didn't go anywhere. And then after talking and talking and things going on, she, I, we can't remember who came up with the idea first, but we finally realized that it wasn't we who needed to move. It was she who needed to move. Um, but it wasn't so much that she needed to move somewhere to live. She needed to go on an actual quest, an actual journey of self-discovery, like a physical journey. And so um, in the summer of 2016, we started uh, researching um, uh, ways to live in your car and how to live on the road and also kind of culling back our budget so that we could live on one uh, salary. And, uh, and then in the summer she, or in the fall, she quit her job that she, she quit two weeks shy of her 20 year anniversary. And she was mm-hmm. a book cover designer for Llewellyn. And, um, then on October 3rd, she packed up her car and she took off and she had no plan. She didn't know where she was going to go, what she was going to do, just go. And, um, so and then I stayed home and I held down the house and managed all of the household day-to-day stuff, whatever. And for the first month, she and I, she didn't have contact with anyone, not me, not anybody. Cause she just needed to like, like have a sorbet, like cleanse herself, like just have mm-hmm. the space. And, um, and then even after that, she didn't have contact with other people for a until around Christmas time. So like three months. And, uh, so what she did was, um, of course she went South and West because of weather. And so she did spend some time sleeping in her car at, um, in national park, not national park. Yeah. National forest lands and at truck stops and in Walmart parking lots. And she also used, um, a website called couchsurfing.com, I think it is. And that's a website where people just say, you need a place to sleep? You can sleep on our couch. And they're perfect strangers, you know. And so she was very brave and went and stayed, you know, at strangers' houses sometimes. But the main website that she used was something called workaway.org. And what Workaway is, is it's this um, website where families or people, not businesses, okay, so it's all personal stuff, um, where people need help or need someone to do work, um, they will, you can work for them in exchange for uh, um, a place to sleep and sometimes a meal, you know, it varies depending on the situation. And so she used Workaway and worked at the small family farm ranch in Colorado. She worked at a ranch in Roswell, New Mexico. She worked in Phoenix. And then she worked up the coast of California. And um, so during this time that she And all the while, gone, you're hanging out. Uh, and all the while, you're hanging out, living, ha- living your life sort of as it was when she was there. Mm-hmm. But now you're by yourself. Correct. Okay. And um, so co- some of the projects that I was focusing on while she was gone was we were really uh, focusing on getting rid of um, things. 
we just had so much stuff. Like people have been in a house for 13 years. You tend to accumulate a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff. And we just, we want it to be lighter and to be more open and not so weighted down. Um, and so I spent a lot of time just going through the house and getting rid of stuff and making it, you know, as um, essential as possible. I also was, um, I had so much going on professionally that last year as well. I was um, helping with Low Scarabeo and our Kana publishing in China to start a tarot school in China and not just like offering workshop weekend classes or whatever, but set up like a six month school or well, it's ongoing school, but each course is six months. And so working on getting that together. And then I was presenting in Italy for their 30, for Los Carabeo's 30th anniversary. I was teaching at Omega Institute. So I was preparing for that. I had um, three writing projects due. Uh, so I had a bunch of my work that I was working on. And I also, and I didn't realize this was something that really took so much, um, sapped me, um, took so much energy, was I was holding space for her um, while she was gone. And by that, I mean, like, um, I was, well, I was holding safety for her, of course, and then just space and guidance and just, and holding the center, you know, of our relationship, our home, our life, um, steady so that she could go and do what she needed to do. You know, like I was like a pole and she, was like a balloon and I, and I was holding the string that kept, that gave her enough freedom to do what she needed to do, but enough security to feel safe in doing what she needed to do. So, you know, so I was doing all that while she was gone. I also visited her three times while she was gone. Um, I went out for my birthday to San Diego in January. And then um, we met up in Portland at the uh, Newt's conference and then she ended up in um, a place called Potter Valley in Northern California. And she got there in January and stayed until the end of May. Um, so clearly she liked this place. She liked it a mm-hmm. lot. And she liked, she discovered after doing a bunch of different work, like she even did a little bit of design work because she felt like she was done with design, but she gave it a few more tries and, she's discovered, yeah, she is pretty much done with design, at least for now. And oddly enough, what she discovered is that she loves farm work. Very physical, very, you know, she just loved the farm work. And she loves the people in Potter Valley. She said that all her life, you know, she'd always wanted to be part of community and always tried in different ways to be, you know, in this community, that group, whatever, and never felt like she was really enfolded into any group. And, uh, you know, Potter Valley has less than 700 people. It's really tight knit. It's really liberal. It's, um, populated by a lot of, um, either aging hippies or next generation hippies. So politically it fits in with our Mm -hmm. beliefs really well. Um, the farmers are all committed to organic, uh, growing, 
for their crops and then humane treatment of animals for their animal um, that they may use for milk or meat or what or wool or whatever. Um, so that so I came out, she wanted me to come to Potter Valley to see Potter Valley. So I did come out and see that this place. Um, but I was I was super sick and super tired. And I honestly didn't remember much about it. Um, right. except that It was lovely, you know, and the people were very kind and generous and open. Uh, so then she came home in June. And then uh, and she was good. I mean, it was amazing what happened to her. Um, on this trip, she, before she left, she had some health things going on. Uh, first, she was on anti-anxiety medication. Um, second, she had a lot of physical aches and pains. Her spine bothered her. She'd go to the chiropractor several times a week. She couldn't sleep very well. She had, you know, always waking up, not getting good night's sleep. So all this stuff. Okay, so she was sleeping on mattresses on the floor, in her car, bad beds all over the place. She got off her anxiety meds completely um, with her doctors. Um, you know, she talked to him before she left, you know, and this is what she wanted to do. So she didn't just stop. She, you know, had medical support for that. And then she didn't have to go to the chiropractor. Her back uh-huh. didn't hurt. She slept like a baby. I mean, it was just incredible. And she was all like loose and groovy. I mean, she always could be that, but she always had this uh, very, uh, this is how things are and let's be organized. Let's, you know, have plans and, you know, just very orderly. And she just got really mm-hmm. spontaneous and loose and open and not um, having expectations. Things should be this way, which made her happier with everything because she wasn't comparing it to what she thought it should be. Mm-hmm. And then she got home and she was cool for two days and and she started, it all started happening again. You know, all the old things, the, um, uh, just whatever, we don't really know for sure what it was about there. Maybe the house, maybe just she'd been there for almost 50 Mm -hmm. years being a certain way and couldn't be differently there. Whatever it was, I sent her back to Potter Valley. I'm like, let's just get you gone. And, uh, um, but we are, and we also decided that we were going to sell our house because the market had improved over that past year. In fact, houses were selling really well and, uh, and that we would move to Potter Valley. And, uh, so that which is, is where you are now, which is where I am speaking to you from right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So the thing about, uh, Potter Valley is there's not a lot of housing here. It's, uh, I think it's zoned or set up so that new construction is not really something that happens here. And to buy a farm or a house would be hundreds of thousands of dollars because it's California. And, uh, but luckily the last people she worked for, their names are Carol and Noel. And uh, they um, built an apartment kind of tucked into their house. So their house kind of is, above and around our house, our apartment. And uh, they built this apartment and they built it because they are both um, American Sufis. Um, They follow um, Samuel Lewis's teachings. He's the man who developed the dance of international peace. Um, I think that's what it's called. And um, they're both in the healing tradition of that tradition. And 
part of what they do is um, hospice work and helping people people transition from life to death. And so some of their Sufi friends were getting older and dying. So they built this apartment so that those people, if they wanted to, could have a place to die with Sufi healers around them. And um, so they knew that um, my wife was looking for somewhere to live here, but they never offered her this apartment because it was built for Sufis. And so when I came to visit them, they were asking me, what, well, what do you believe, Dylan? So, oh, Dylan, I should say one of the changes that happened to my wife um, while she was on her journey was that she kind of honed in on who she felt like she was in terms of just outward presentation to the world. And part of that is, um, well, she, she's a female and she... Um, but she feels way more comfortable when she dresses either like an eight-year-old boy or a really old man. <laughs> Those are kind of like her two styles. But she never really, she always felt weird about doing that back in, the, in St. Paul for some reason, you know, because that's not what is expected and she wasn't raised to be that way. And the other thing is she got a boy haircut which is so cute on her and suits her so well. She seems so comfortable. But even more importantly than the outward expression is how she calls herself. And she um, never felt like her name, which was Lisa, um, it never really suited her. She didn't feel like it matched who she was. And so she left home, and I did not know this until like November or December. She left home with a list of um, gender neutral names that she wanted to try out while she was on the road. And so she, um, and the name Dylan was on the list. And it was the first one she tried, and it stuck. So now she hasn't legally changed her name because that's like, oodles of paperwork but she um is going by dylan now so mm -hmm. i um, was saying my wife because i hadn't told that story and most people probably know her name is lisa now we are calling her dylan so anyways <clears throat> the uh carol and noah were asking me about my beliefs because they said dylan said you're kind of into this kind of stuff and so i explained it you know my loose ideas about how the world works and whatever. And so they said, Oh, so you're a Sufi too. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I'm not in anything or whatever. And they said, well, you're what we would call a wild Sufi and wild Sufi just means you're not attached to any group. You're just out there doing your Sufi things. So, you know, um, right after that, they offered us this place to stay. Because Amazing. I'm a Sufi, I can stay in this apartment. <laughs> uh huh. So that's how we ended up with with this little apartment, which is quite a change. It's we had a three bedroom house, um, two stories, built 1911. Big, beautiful craftsman work uh, workmanship. And I had my own office and everything, and now we're in a one bedroom, very, very, very tiny place. So mm -hmm. we've had a lot of adjustments, but I suppose we'll get to the adjustments a little bit later. Um, yeah, so the store, so right, so now we are here in Potter Valley, and she is doing farm work for lots of different farmers in the area. She also um, is working a little bit for the local community college's art department. She started off doing uh, uh, life modeling there for the uh, life drawing class. Uh, she was doing that back in the cities, too. She just likes to do that, and uh, she's now also, because the art director 
or the professor who's in charge of the art department, her assistant quit. So um, she has still, and if she stepped in for the rest of the school year to fill in for that. So she's working with her and helping to produce the student spring art show. So she's got really a wide variety of things going on. And so she's super, super happy. Mm-hmm. So how, how is it for you? Because from the outside, it seems like you basically just gave up everything. <laughs> and moved out there how how are you adjusting to to kind of like finding your way into the world which which Dylan sort of found and had already kind of put roots into yes and you know that you use the right words because she told me several months after she was here that she felt like she was putting down roots exact words and so yeah how is it for me well yeah I mean I think on the surface of it you could one could say, oh, you just gave up everything so she could have this life that she wanted. And that is both true, but also not true. Um, Because for me, I had spent most of my life moving. I lived in lots of different places and never stayed grounded in one space for too long. And I also reinvented myself a lot. Like I've had so many incarnations of this life, um, in this life. And yet when we were in that house that we just left, we'd lived there for 13 years and never in my life, even as a child, I'd never lived in one dwelling for that long. Mm. And I also don't feel like I changed the biggest change in myself while I was living there was I left full-time employment to do freelance, but still working for the same company as well as other companies. So not a huge like reinvention. And so I started feeling like if I don't move, I will probably die here. And I don't mean that in like a bad way, like, oh my God, I'll die in three years because of whatever. Just that I could very comfortably grow old, settle, and live here the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, crap, I'm not ready for that to happen yet. I, I mean, traveling is cool. I love traveling, of course, but there's also nothing like living in different places, you know, which is different than traveling. and also becoming a different person and shaking up my life. So it's very much ready for that. Also, and this is very, very important. I was so done with being cold for six months of the year. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, unless you live in Minnesota or have lived, you you don't really, I think, I don't think you can fully understand how cold it is and for how long. And Mm -hmm. I was just done with it. And uh, it's uh, as, as we're recording this, it is December 13 today. Yes. And uh, in Toronto, where I am, it is, I don't know, minus 15 Celsius with the wind chill. So, like, you know, 15 or 16 yeah. Fahrenheit, you know, it's cold. Yeah. It's a thing. It is it's cold, real. so cold. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like, and right now it is about 1030 in the morning here, and it's about 50 degrees. It'll get up to about 66 this afternoon. Um, so that's much, Very much civilized. warmer. <laughs> yes, civilized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, so, right, and then, the okay, so I wanted to not have 
the physical trappings of my life set for the rest of my life. So that was one thing that was a plus for me to move here, not being cold. That was another plus. Another thing that is, was super important, and this was really actually harder than I thought it would be, is I wanted to have a year off. Um, and by a year off, I mean not doing, not committing to other projects, book contracts, teaching, anything, and except for my work for Llewellyn and Los Bale, because one does need some kind of income. And here's a clue, farm hands don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so, if you're thinking about abandoning it all and moving to the country, you will mm-hmm. not get rich. You're yeah. not going to get rich. You can't be doing it for the money. So except for, you know, just that work, which is very, very part-time, I uh, wanted to have nothing. And, you know, when you work hard to get your name out there, to be involved in the community, opportunities come your way and it gets really hard to say no to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to do a lot of uh, training myself to say no. And I have had many invitations and I have, so I have nothing. I have no book contracts for 2018. I have no teaching obligations. I have nothing. So I've created this space where I can just start reading what I want, researching what I want, playing with different ideas, totally disconnected to anything that anyone needs from me. Mm. And I'm it's kind really... of amazing. Uh, sorry. It's kind That's of amazing okay. how far you've come. Like I remember when we, I don't know if it was the first time we talked or the second time we talked, but you were giving up your Facebook and social media and withdrawing from that stuff yeah. so you could focus some more on what matters. Right. And then here you are some number of years later, like withdrawing even further from sort of obligation and the things that people think that should be done and so on so mm-hmm. that you can instead focus on what you want and need to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Gosh, you're right. I hadn't really realized that, but it is so true. I keep, um, I keep taking off the veils of the unessential mm-hmm. to get to the heart and bones or something. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So one of the things I'm thinking about pursuing, of course, I'm not committing. I'm just playing with the idea um, is becoming an interfaith minister. Mm-hmm. I, um, over the last couple of years, I've, um, um, I've performed a couple of weddings and yeah. working with the couples and like the last wedding I did was so fun. Oh my gosh. So it was a, um, it was a couple who were friends of my niece, one of my nieces and it, and my two older nieces are, um, total like nerds and geeks. Like they, play you know role-playing games and and magic and you know all of and they read all the good books and stuff and you know so I kind of rediscovered that part of myself when they came of age because I started playing with them a little bit too anyways one of their friends um their couple were getting married and they're also big you know into all that stuff and so their wedding was very subtly influenced by you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, Harry Potter, you know, just all the, their, their favorite fandoms. And mm-hmm. um, so when I talked with them about, you know, how we want the ceremony to go, because, you know, one thing I try to do is like, 
make it so that it suits their personality, but also if it's what they want, helps their families feel part of it and comfortable as well. And, you know, of course their families can come from Christian backgrounds and, you know, they, the um, groom was more agnostic and the uh, uh, bride was more pagan, you know, so tying in philosophy from his end and paganism from her end, Christianity from the parents end and wrapping it all up with, uh, their their fandoms was so fun you know like in one sentence i'm like mm-hmm. quoting jesus christ and albus dumbledore you know together mm-hmm. and you know and i'm watching the people as i'm doing it and they're engaged and they're laughing and they're listening and you know even like the father of the bride came up after and he's like i have never paid attention to any wedding ceremony as much as I did this one, except for my own, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I just started thinking about how much I enjoyed that work. And then I was talking with my friend, um, Nancy Antonucci, and I'm like, I wish I could be a minister without being associated with any one religion. And she's like, well, you can, (laughs) it's called Mm -hmm. interfaith minister. I'm like, Oh, cool. And I looked it up and there is, um, the Chaplaincy Institute is located in Berkeley, California, which is two hours, two and a half hours from where I am. And they do, it's like online for part of it, but then you are required to go on site 12 different times during your class for five days at a time to do these intensives. And so you, these 12 intensives are, well, one is psychology and uh, spirituality, and then the I think, no, I think two are psychology and spirituality and the other 10 are different religious paths that you mm-hmm. study in depth. And then as a student, you like pick one that you specialize in and a second one that you secondarily focus on, but you technically know something about all of them. It just mm-hmm. sounds so cool. And uh, they will let you come and sit in for free on the first day of any one of their monthly classes. So I'll be doing that in January or February, probably. Um, So yeah, I lost track of the question. Oh, how is this not just me sacrificing everything? Yeah. So there's tons of opportunities here. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Well, but, but it also sounds like, uh, whereas, whereas uh, for people who maybe felt like the other person was driving it, it would feel like a sacrifice. But for you, it was sort of this moment of an opportunity to shed, right? To basically mm-hmm. be like, you know what? I'm ready to cleave away some stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. uh, pare it back further, you know? Yes. Yes, yes. And I mean, I think that's an important distinction that I should probably make clear is from from the beginning of this whole thing, I never felt any feelings of like being a martyr or Mm -hmm. sacrificing. I mean, there, yes, there was sacrifice of like lifestyle and budget and her being there, you know, I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. sacrifice, but sacrifice is like too strong a word. It's like, I just adapted to do what our family needed. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but when I think of martyrdom and sacrifice, I think like, Oh, you're giving up something that costs so much. And no, that has never felt except, I guess I should be honest here. There's one place in my life where the sacrifice is big and does kind of hurt 
even still, but, um, you know, um, my sister whose wedding I happen to officiate, she Mm -hmm. has, um, her, her children are now, um, two, the boy Benjamin is two years old. And then the daughter Lily is seven months old. And my other sisters have had babies and I never was into them. Right. I, I mean, they're Mm -hmm. fine, whatever. I fell in love with, well, first Benjamin, he came first, fell head over heels in love with him. And now with Lily and I was taking care of them when they didn't have daycare. I'd go over there at least once a week. I mean, I was just so into these kids and I miss them so, so much. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, we call, we text, we FaceTime, she sends videos, but with babies, nothing, nothing can substitute for holding them and snicking them and (laughs) and oh my God, I miss them. But I am going back in February for sales conference for Llewellyn. So I am going to stay long and get in all my baby time. So, yeah. um, you know, that's how we're dealing with that. I will just go back and visit them as often as is feasible. Mm-hmm. But yes, other than that, no, it feels like even though on the outside, our Dylan's journey and my journey look really different. We are running along us the, the same path, you know, like to here even though it's doing different things for us. I mean, she spent the last year taking, shedding her stuff and now Mm -hmm. she's building her stuff and I'm still kind of shedding, you know, Mm -hmm. like we just got here on November 6th. So we haven't been here that long and just over a month, just over a month. And I am still adjusting and I'm probably going to give myself, you know, at least through the holidays, if not through January to just adjust. Mm-hmm. So, cause it's really different living in the country. I mean, we're not even talking like a suburb or a sparsely populated town. We're in the freaking country and, uh, it's really different and mountain roads, mm-hmm. very windy, sometimes scary. And I'm not a great driver and, you know, so that's been a huge challenge. So I yeah. have a lot to adjust to just yet. Oh, even mail delivery. Like, you know, we've always gotten stuff like in the mail and prep, you know, things delivered. And right before I left home, Amazon started doing same day delivery in my neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course we didn't need it, but it's kind of cool that it happened and it didn't cost extra. Well, here we had to get a PO box. And even with the PO box, I mean, stuff gets delivered to neighbor's houses and the neighbors just kind of walk it over, but you can't expect anything fast. Like mm-hmm. nothing is fast and you just have to have patience and nothing, nothing is that dire, you know? I mean, that's one of the big differences here is no, there's no rushing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, you're not, you're, you're totally doing what you're doing because you're not thinking of watching the clock or I have to be somewhere at this time. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but overall the whole attitude is just so different. And mm. that's been kind of a challenge to adjust to, but I have to say I'm kind of digging it. It's like so much less stressful. Yeah. Trying to slow down my life has been something that I've been working on for a while now, mm-hmm. um, largely unsuccessfully, you know, because part, partly being a parent and running the store mm-hmm. means that means that I do have a lot of time points and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, partly like living in, in a major city and whatever. It's just, 
it's sort of, it's both hectic and everything's always possible. Like mm-hmm. I, I can be coming home at like 1030 at night and be like, Oh, I got to go by the grocery store and like buy something or buy everything for the week or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Right. Like it's, you know, it becomes this thing where it's not like, yeah, there's always, there's always these possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing self-regulates. Right. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say they just, um, you know, not the the family, the children, the store, being an entrepreneur. I mean, all of that in and of itself makes for a very full and busy life. But also, I can only imagine that the energy of the place you live, you know, like a big city, like you said, there's always possibilities. The lights are always on. You can always do stuff. And everyone else is living in this life that's run by a clock or things to do or so many things to do. It, I don't know how easy it would be to even consciously try to slow down your life mm-hmm. while you're living there. It would be so hard. So I hope you can find that because it's, so well, cool. it's, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm working on. Um, I, I was, I was thinking recently about uh, there, there's this Henry Rollins quote that goes around. Um, you see it as like memes and stuff on the regular, which is, uh, there's no such thing as free time. There's no such thing as downtime. There's just lifetime. Go. Mm. You're something like that, right? Sure. And uh and so like I've been not not in like uh like sometimes sometimes I sort of have read that in the past and thought of it as like stop wasting time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but more so now I'm I've been it's been sort of emerging as like this sort of need for self-imposed structure right like you know mm-hmm. how do how do i curve the space to make the things that i want and need to have happen happen which also includes you know quietness and time in the ravines and you know all those other things right and it's yeah. uh you know it's uh it's complicated so mm-hmm. yeah definitely one of the things that I've been noticing here and it'll be interesting to see how it shapes our future is that one okay I when I lived in St. Paul or anywhere else that I've lived up till now earning money has been super important and not just earning enough to live but like that was how you measured how successful you were Mm. in some ways or and having the right things you know and and that was really kind of a, a way that I would measure or shape my life because that's just what you did, right? Uh, at least how I grew up. And here, you know, like I said, farming does, you don't earn a lot, right? And uh, um, so nobody here seems rich in money. And but they could have stacks of money in the bank. I don't know. All I know is outwardly, like clothes and cars and going out and uh, recreational shopping is not a thing mm-hmm. um, here. Uh, honestly. You're not jaunting it, down the road for sushi and fancy mm-mm. food every night? No, no. And you you can wear the same clothes every day or every other day. And it's just not, not a thing. I mean, like, mm. but what is a thing is having the time to run into someone and just stop and chat for 45 minutes, you know, and not be like, Oh my God, I'm so, you know, like mm-hmm. I have never heard anyone here say, Oh my God, I'm so busy. 
or, oh, I have to rush because, I mean, every once in a while there's something like, oh, I have to take the dog to the vet. I mean, there are times, mm-hmm. I don't mean there isn't, but it's so very different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's causing us to think about, well, what makes a meaningful life to us? And what do we actually need and want? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's part of that stripping bear. You know, if you're living in a place where expectations of having, you know, certain, and I was never like into fashion, fashion, but even if you're not, there's still like, you know, some kind of us line of, you know, what people are wearing and what people are doing. And uh, I don't know. Anyways, okay. it's just very different and really refreshing and amazing. It's not like any kind of life I've ever known. Do you find this changing your spiritual practice? Well, that's a really great question. Um, There's a couple of things that I want to say about that. First of all, toward the end of her, uh, Dylan's being gone, or like even when she was home, she was home in July, and that's when I was in China. I, by the end, I was barely holding it together um, because, and I hadn't realized how holding the space for her and keeping myself going, plus all this really, really, really challenging work work that I was doing just sucked everything out of me. I didn't, by the time, I mean, I had enough luck to get us here, <laughs> you know, like, cause the drive mm-hmm. here was super hard. It was five days. I had my car and the dog. She had the big U-Haul, you know, and we drove through all kinds of weather and roads. And I mean, I had enough barely to hold it together to get here. Once we got here, I kind of lost it, you know, and, you know, she, Dylan talked about, well, you know, you should do some magic for the house sale. Cause I had been doing it before I left, but I hadn't continued it and this and that. And I hadn't been doing my nightly blessing practice. And I'm like, I have nothing. I've, I, I just mm-hmm. have to let something fill me up. I don't even have it in me to ask to be filled up. <laughs> it's really like a, a I don't know, like a slug. And Mm -hmm. I am just now starting to feel like, okay, like I just started um, this past uh, week. Well, it's only Wednesday, but just this week I I got my my nighttime blessing practice in line because one of, and I, you know, it took me a while to figure out like what was going on with that. So back Mm -hmm. in St. Paul, my nightly blessing is I would, I could, I knew my neighborhood so well, I could visualize like where I would extend my bubble of where I could affect the energy, you know, and as I did it, the longer I did it, the further it got, but that would be how I start. I would like, here's where I'm going with this. And then I would do um, two blessings, always may all beings be at peace. And then a specific blessing, different one each night. And, uh, Mm -hmm. When I got here, it's like, I don't know this area. And even if I did, there's like hardly any people in this area. And I don't, the, the energy. The of bunnies need out. blessing too, you know? Ah, uh, yes, yes. But I just couldn't get a grip on what, how, what, I, mm-hmm. how I should do this. And so what I realized is, oh, and this is like even better than the neighborhood blessings, is there are so many farms. Like it's uh, on the land we're on, there are farm, there are plants, there are animals, all kind. I mean, I, and the area I know is full of land and or plants and animals. So I'm sending blessings into the food. And mm-hmm. so when people eat that food that I've been blessing for its entire life of growing, 
they're going to get so blessed, right? And Amazing. I know. What a way to affect change in the world, you know? And I'm, like, so excited about that. So that is something Mm -hmm. that has changed. It it has remained the same. It's still a nighttime blessing practice, but I've changed what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So that Mm -hmm. has changed. As far as everything else, I have, I'm still like trying to make friends with the trees and the land and everything around here. So I'm like, okay, how are we going to work together? What are we going to do? Um, so that is still in, in coming into being. Um, when, when you were traveling, because you know, in the last year you were in Italy and various places in the U.S. and China and so on. Do you do you try and tune in with the land where you are and the trees and stuff as you travel or I have not usually with the traveling it's well this year um it's mm-hmm. been so hard um on that I just I I don't actually I know no I mean mm-hmm. I kept feeling like if I could or should maybe I would feel more grounded but you I don't know if this ever happens to you but when you get too far away from your center where your practice holds you that it's like the further out you go, the more you need to come back to the center, but the harder it is to come back to the center. Mm. I mean, that's how it feels for me. And sometimes, you know, it just feels like I have to totally lose it and then come and then reel back in. Yeah. I I feel like that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, like I definitely have experienced that. Um, You know, for me, I, I definitely, one of the first things that I do when I arrive somewhere new is like spend some time tuning in mm-hmm. and, you know, like as a way of getting there. Um, but I'm kind of like right now I'm kind of going through something different. Mm. Um, I, I was writing about it somewhere earlier like yesterday or today. And uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm like, I've left the planet. Mm. Like, or at least like everything, you know, like, I mean, obviously I haven't because I'm still living here and living with all the people that I'm, you know, living with and working with and so on. But um, earlier, earlier this year, like maybe since the middle of the summer, I started working with um, meteorites oh. and meteorite derived things like Moldavite and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, um, and then a couple weeks ago, or even a week ago was my birthday and I picked up a new meteorite. Um, and, and ever since I got that one, I feel like metaphorically, but, but on some sort of deeper level that I'm just traveling through space with it now. And it's going to go somewhere different. And I don't know what that means. Um, it's kind of weird because like, unlike this sort of return to center that you're talking about, and maybe this is just a big, arc of a return to center it feels like mm-hmm. it's going somewhere different and i don't really know what that means uh or what that's going to look like but uh yeah it's very interesting wow i cannot wait to hear more about that because <laughs> seriously yeah um yeah well and because i remember <laughs> this was kind of funny i remember uh dan pelletier um mm-hmm. who owns Hero Garden, um, one of the co-owners, he, I remember he and I used to debate all the time and just kind of horse around with ideas. And one time he asked me, he's like, so tell me what, if River Tam used a tarot deck, what would it look like? 
And River Tam, for those who don't know, is um, she is a character from Firefly. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Firefly, you should know it because Go it's check awesome. It out. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I said, and I, I had this great answer. I'm like, oh, she would use one that the cards are completely blank. And when she laid them down, they would get pictures on them, you know, cause she's all kind of mystical and strange and whatever. And Dan was like, no, no, she wouldn't do you know, Cause he had the answer he wanted to give. And uh-huh. I don't was know it the what baseball it was, tarot? It had- was that his answer? No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) But it had to do with astrology. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of griping on, you know, how Earth-based tarot uses Earth-based astrology. And when you're in outer space, the constellations don't look the same. Mm. Because we're, you know, you're looking at, they're looking at them from a different point of view. So, um, yeah, so this idea of, you know, how, what kind of uh, perspective do you get and what kind of truths are, revealed when you're looking at things from a different from outer space like if you are looking at earth from there or you're out there looking somewhere different that you can't see from earth or feel Mm -hmm. or you know whatever so i just think that's going to be pretty cool yeah pretty weird too yeah well we'll we'll see what comes of it right you know Yeah. yeah have you read um a book called The Sparrow by uh, Maria, Mary uh, Doria Russell. No. The Sparrow and its follow-up is called Children of God. Is it good? Oh my God, life-changing. But okay. you have to read both of them together, not together at the same time, but read The Sparrow and then read Children of God because The Sparrow is going to rip your heart open and then Children of God is going to rip it even more Okay. And then bring reconciliation. So it, it's like, it's, they're amazing. But I, I bring them up because it involves outer space and spirituality. Mm. You know, it's science fiction, but there's this really deeply rooted, I mean, the main characters are part of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And, um, but don't let that say, oh, Catholic Church, whatever, because it's totally not. It's so worth it. Anyways, so you might well, find I'll, those novels good for your journey. I will. I will consider it. I, uh, I, I. This is something that probably I don't talk about very much, but I actually don't really read ever. And oh. uh, I recently tried to give reading a, a go again. Not that I. Not that I can't read. I just <laughs> just don't read. Right. And uh, it, it just didn't really go anywhere. Like uh. I picked up a bunch of books that seemed really cool and tried to read them and would find myself picking them up and, you know, when I was talking to Enrique in one of the podcasts, we were talking about the fact that like, uh, run across a sentence or somebody will say something. I'll be like, no, I need to stop. I have to just go and think about that for six weeks or six months. (laughs) And so like reading is this very strange thing for me where like I'll start and then something will catch me. It'll, it'll set me off on, on ideas and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the book just sits there, like you know, I've gotten ten pages in, and then haven't gone back to it for three or six months or whatever. And so, I actually just gave up on the books that were sitting around because they were they were starting to give me the stink eye from like their <laughs> dust on them. I was like, no, 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 I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, I thought I could read, but I, I, I can't. So. Oh yeah, but yeah, you never yeah. know. Yeah, um, novels might be different. So. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. hopefully, but or yeah. not. Whatever. There. Anyways, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. 
Yeah. So. Yes. Go on. What did, so as somebody who's sort of had creative projects on the go, right? How does it feel to sort of not have a creative project on the go right now? Because it's other than you as creative project, right? Mm-hmm. You've you kind of cleared the decks of a lot of that stuff. Right, right. Um, well, uh, it, there are like two levels of feelings going on right now. One is I feel like I am not able to actually fully enjoy that feeling yet because we have just gotten here and our house is from St. Paul, just recently sold, but the closing isn't until January 2nd. So of course it could fall through anytime between now and then, and then we'd start all over. So like there's that kind of mental space needed to deal with that and all that paperwork. Also moving to a new state, car registrations, new driver's license, health insurance, um, renters insurance, you know, there's just like a lot of things, paperworky things. So I'm like just grateful that I don't have a lot going on that I can take care of this stuff. Um, And it takes time too, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, one of the things that changed this year was my eldest has switched to being homeschooled. Um, And, and in fact, we're actually um, unschooling her, which is basically like we're, we're letting her drive the stuff and we're just sort of gently nudging her towards stuff. And really what that looks like for the most part is reminding her of the stuff that she likes and wants to be doing that she forgets that she likes and wants to be doing. Um, And, you know, somebody said when we started the process that it can take three to six months to, uh, to de-school yourself, right. To like Mm -hmm. slide out of that structure that you were living in. And it was determining everything about you for so long, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're in one of those one of those times, right? Where yes, and I would like to, I would love it if I had like you to do for me what you did for your daughter, or not <laughs> you personally, but a person like you, or just a part of myself that can do that because that you know, nudging in directions, reminding what you like, you know, and and that's what. Uh, kind of the path that I'm hoping to follow when I actually get this tedious stuff done. You know, I mean, I've got these books that I want to really dig into. I have a box full of notes and ideas that need exploration. I have some art ideas I want to play with, you know, so there's like lots of things on the table and Uh yeah. Can't wait to see where it all goes. I know. Oh, one of the other feel because you asked, how does it feel? One of the other feelings, and this is when I, um, I'm really glad to see it didn't pop up first because it means I'm kind of giving it a lower priority, which is what it should have, is this fear of failure. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, I've talked for so long about having this year off and blah, blah, blah. And like, now I have it. What if I don't do anything brilliant with it? Oh my God, that would be so humiliating, right? So, you know, that I, I realize that's ridiculous and not productive feeling. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm trying to, you know, where is that coming from? Where's its root? How can I pull that out? Because it's not good. It's not good for me right now. But it's I'm, it's there. It's there. Producing stuff is such a strange business, especially like creative and or spiritual stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as you know, I, I created a tarot deck this year. Right? I heard. Over the last little while, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, uh, and like, I actually created 40 cards between the beginning of August and 
the middle of September and wrote 30,000 words or something like that, all yes. while working and while my mom was, uh, you know, uh, had her hip replaced and then fell and broke it and was in the hospital. And while my partner went across to the other coast and uh, put on a play and I was at home working and had the kids. And like, there's this time where like, I was just doing all this stuff. And, and I, I, I remember sort of as I was like kind of finally wrapping up the, the, the material that I was like, this is great. I'm just going to keep this going. I'm going to do my next thing, which I already know what it is. And, blah 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 and and i totally didn't you know <laughs> like and, and it's it's like you know it's so it's so funny like this notion of like what does space produce what does time produce what does availability produce i i i go back to like the sort of notion of the muse and that a lot it's like you know those that'll drive you whenever right and like we might have you, you have this year and the muse may show up and you might do your, your most important to the universe thing that you do for a long time. Or you might just like spend a lot of time like lounging with finger paints in the muse and doing stuff. And that leads to things down the road. Like there's just no accounting for it. Right. You know, uh, at least that's how I see it anyway. Mm-hmm. No, I, I do believe that that is true. Um, which is why I want to kind of get a hold of that, feeling to you know help remind remember that it's not what you produce that's important this year it's Mm -hmm. what goes on inside of me more than anything else um and that has value too you know and for people who pay attention to like the wheel of the year I mean, this is a a good time to have moved if I'm going to be like cocooning and just adjusting and being easy on myself because it's the dark time of the year and this quiet introspection is, feels very natural, at least for me. So that's been super helpful um, as a way to prepare for the, you know, because then spring will come and hopefully I'll be adjusted and ready to go and doing things. Hey, but if not, then that's okay too, right? I mean, then you can watch the plants come up. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? That'll that'll be important too, right? Yes. Then you can watch the plants come up, right? Everything will spring up and life will grow and and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what's really interesting here? They're planting things now. Wow. I know. I mean, that's what um, Dylan was doing the last two days. She was planting, um, I think, cauliflower and chard and one other thing. Oh, and she's been doing a lot of onions for farmers. Uh, Yeah, they're planting now. They have a really long growing season here. Like, I don't know if it ever stops. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it must... I think there's just certain crops that will grow this time of year and some mm-hmm. things that you plant now that grow it, come up in the summer or something like that. Clearly yeah. I'm not a farmer. <laughs> uh-huh. We'll expect, we'll expect some, uh, some more farm handedness by the next time we talk. Okay. Detailed graphs. Well, we'll plant this at this time and da da da. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I, another question that I, that I, is, is interesting is, you know, so Dylan's been through a lot of change. Yes. And, and you've carried on your relationship through that. Yes. Because, I mean, 
how many people could sort of imagine saying, oh, sure, go away for a year. I'll see you, I'll see you sometime. You know, I mean, I know it wasn't quite, quite that, but like that, that would be a deal breaker for a lot of people, right? I suppose you're right. Oh, and it kind of actually was how, that. Because, how did you roll with that? How did that happen? Well, it, it happened very naturally and easily, really. Um, and it kind of was what you said, because we didn't know when she was coming back. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, and so it was totally open-ended. I mean, the only thing is we had a certain amount of money from our retirement that we allotted to that to help cover that year. Right. And I said, you can be gone as long as you need to be or until this money runs out. <laughs> so uh-huh. there, there wasn't really an ending on it. But how did I roll with it? Well, okay, so probably first and foremost is because I love her. Um, and she needed this. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm not going to not do it or let her do it or support, not even let her, but support her wholeheartedly. I needed to see her become healthy and happy. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one reason. The other reason is the longer she was staying, the worse she was getting because the more conscious she was becoming that something was wrong within her, like just the worse and harder it was for her to be home and for me to live with her, right? So, mm. you know, so it was almost in some ways a relief on just this kind of you're driving me crazy level because you're so un- discontented. I can't mm-hmm. be by you. Um, that's a lot more cut and dry than it really was, but it'll give you an idea. The other thing is I'm very hermit-like and like to be alone anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, just being alone is not hard for me I know some people it is hard to be alone you know I I would be days at a time without seeing or talking to anybody it was fine with me um plus I had a lot of work to do so you know that Mm -hmm. keep me I was never like lonely and never didn't have anything to do um but and also we've been together for almost 20 years and I you know I don't know if that had anything to do with it but sometimes I think while she was gone, I kept thinking, you know, maybe everyone in a long-term relationship, if they're feeling stagnated or whatever, just want to boost or add something, inject something into their uh, relationship, maybe everyone should do this, you know, take a sabbatical Mm. from each other, not a separation, you know, it's not like we're going to, you know, go try to be without, but you know what I mean, just give each other space to, to do, to become, Without, I mean, because even healthy relationships, there's some kind of codependence, some kind of a, you do something, you see how your partner reacts and that reinforces or kind of makes you not, you know, I mean, even in healthy ones, I don't think that that's mm-hmm. avoidable. Um, so- yeah, well, and, you know, I mean, in my relationship, which has been going on for almost 20 years, right, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we kind of use this language of we keep going back to dating, right? Mm, something will happen we'll be like all right so who are we now what do we want now Mm -hmm. what makes sense now what are we going to do going forward what what assumptions have we been living that we no longer want to be living Mm -hmm. you know and and i think that 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 kind of reassessment of things whether through separations or not it's kind of one of one of the few ways that i can see that that long-term things can really sort of work well and be healthy because otherwise I mean, maybe if two people don't change, but 
you know, I don't know. I'm such a changing person. I'm always, always shifting in some way or other. So I don't think that that's really a road that would, would work for me. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, yes. And I've heard other people talk about that too, about, you know, you know, sure you commit to a relationship and especially in our culture, the idea is, you know, you commit for life and whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's not really realistic to, I think if, uh, well, I don't think it's good for people to stay exactly the same their whole life. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but it's never been that way for me. So I just, it feels like it could lead to stagnation. Mm-hmm. And for relationship, I mean, people will say, well, you used to do this or you used to do that. You know, well, okay, so maybe sometimes that's a problem. You're not being considerate or prioritizing each other. Or it's like, well, well we don't do that anymore because that's not who we are anymore. So like what you were just saying, have conversations, you know, mm-hmm. what is important and what's different and what are we going to let go of? So you're not always like just, oh, you don't do that anymore. But like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore, but we are doing this, you know, mm-hmm. and very consciously tending the relationship and not expecting it to be the same, but helping it to grow and change as the individuals grow and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy, though. No, no. Sometimes it's not. Well, and for me, I am lucky in this case, for me, it has been easy because what, you know, it's happened with Dylan is she went away and lost all the things that weren't, wasn't her. And most of the things that weren't her were things I didn't like anyways that right. much. She clearly didn't enjoy them either anymore. Yeah. Um, and so what's revealed is more uh, her what at least at this point in her life is her true nature and mm-hmm. she's more comfortable and confident, which makes her even better to be around and highlights everything that I loved about her from the start. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah, I guess I could see, you know, this idea, Oh, some, one of the partners going off for a while being kind of scary and, you know, there are hardships involved, but in the end, you know, it's kind of worth it if it helps the person come back being more themselves and more confident and more authentic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a little bit of a sacrifice or if you even want to think of it that way, but in exchange, you get something really good. Mm-hmm. So you know, and like the whole deal breaker thing, you know, you, do you have a partner because you want someone who's like physically next to you all the time? And that's the definition of what your partner is, or is the partner someone who you help each other become your best selves, which is much broader and Mm -hmm. leaves it more open to things other than just, we will sleep under the same roof for as many nights as possible per year or whatever. Well, and I, I, I guess it's just really important to know which of those you are, if you're one or the other, right? Right. Because if you, if you mistake that, that could be a really, uh, speaking of uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll just stay the same forever. Oh, wait, no, 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 I'm the changer, and now this is not working, right? And, I mean, mm-hmm. that happens too, right? So That does, that does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you reading cards for people in the neighborhood? Are the, the farmers coming around and ask you about uh, – about their cows and sheep and their their broccoli and chard or no i have read for one of the farmers that dylan works for um Uh but i and others have asked but it hasn't happened yet we've only been here a little over a month um (laughs) 
I'm sure it will happen. I mean, I keep telling people I'll bring my cards the next time they invite us over for dinner or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm sure I will. I don't know if they will ask about their cows and their crops because they're usually really smart and, and know, like, I don't think they need the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, but if they do, I'll report back next year and let you know. Maybe I'll do yeah. a book on tarot and agriculture or something. Amazing. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to over the next bit? You're going to go check out this, this school, mm-hmm. right? This, uh, this clergy program. Right. What, what right. else are you looking forward to? It's just getting into your paints and your, or your art supplies and trying yes. stuff. Yes, 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 yes. I, I definitely want to continue working on my art and, um, you know, I have my novel that I have written and I did go through a phase where I sent it to a bunch of agents, of course, got nothing, you know, so I kind of want to decide about, you know, am I going to do that, do another round of agent searching or am I going to just self-publish it, um, which is a possibility, do something with it because I just feel so bad for it. It's just, it's just sitting there and it's so cute. One of my sisters, you know, because I had, all, of course, all my sisters read it and one of my sisters is like, are you ever going to do anything with that? And are you ever going to write the sequel? I just think about those characters all the time. And, you know, so, which I think is a good sign. Yeah. That's a great compliment. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, I do want to just get like, I do love tarot and I can't help but see everything through the lens of tarot. And I'm super interested in exploring the fool's journey and on different levels and in different ways. And mm-hmm. I don't, and, and also like part of this, uh, 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 minister training too, like even, you know, as I study each module of each of the different religions, like taking those precepts and fitting them into tarot and just seeing, you know, and then using that as like some kind of a comparative model. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. But it just seems like there's a lot of material to play with there. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that there's a lot of really interesting ways in which tarot can be used to look at traditions. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, of course, I think that given that my tarot deck is an Orisha tarot deck, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I basically, spent a bunch of time exploring it as you know where those where those two systems overlap and how they might shed some light onto each other in some way right yes, yes you know yes. and so i think that there's a lot of really great ground that can happen from that mm-hmm. you know i think uh yeah i think it's gonna be very interesting to see what emerges so yeah mm-hmm. oh i thought of another project idea that i might play with um yeah. 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 So, okay. Like, okay. I, okay. There's a lot esoteric magic, all of that kind of stuff. It has deep roots, right? Historical, sometimes ancient roots, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people in the circles we run in, you know, really study that stuff and develop modern practices based on those things. And, you know, and I think that's really interesting. Obviously I was just talking about studying that, but I also, think that um um as human consciousness evolves that spiritual truths truths or understandings will change and develop too because i think that we humans are 
creating reality and the future as we go along. So, you know, I just think that always relying on the ancient is not the only way. And mm-hmm. so I got this idea of, you know, thinking about magic, um, like how, what can we learn about magic um, in modern times by studying and comparing and analyzing how magic shows up in literature, modern mm-hmm. literature. And mm-hmm. so I thought of doing like, and, and the, well, the way this came into my head is because like the past, like three months or so I've been, I listen to audiobooks as well as reading books, but I, and I just needed like comfort books um, mm-hmm. to get me through that. Like I was saying that end time was really hard and I couldn't, be challenged intellectually. I just wanted something that was comforting. So I re-listened to like all these series that I love. Like I, I re-listened to all the Harry Potter books mm-hmm. and I re-listened to um, Jim Butcher's, the Harry Dresden files, uh-huh. which are about Harry Dresden, who's a magician. Um, I re-listened to Love Grossman's trilogy, The Magicians. And right now I'm lis- re-listening to, I'm almost embarrassed to say it and I don't even remember the name of it, but it's uh because it's more of a romance novel, but mm-hmm. it's, um, oh, A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness, and there's a trilogy of books. There may even be more. I don't know, but it's, uh, so all of these series, I realized, I'm like, okay, I didn't realize I, these were all my comfort series, and they all have in common is that they are magical worlds in mm-hmm. the modern world, right. you know, like, it's how magic works in contemporary times. And so, you know, like, so what are the core, the, the, like in, in novels, they don't just like lay out a worldview, right? Cause that would be boring. That would be nonfiction or something, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, you know, so to just go through these books and kind of pull out of them, their worldviews and the way the world works and how magic works and what it is and what its purpose is and, you know, how does spirituality and ethics fit into it, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that would be like such a fun comparative study of those four. Well, the first three for sure, maybe the Deborah Harkness series too. I'm not sure about that one yet. Mm. Um, I just think that would be so cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on these days with magic, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that um, there, there's sort of uh, an, an interesting blend of contemporary practice and mm-hmm. sort of modern practice, but also um, sort of a return to, you know, as, as Gordon White says, a, a re-enchanting of the world or more animist worldview, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's funny. I, I never realized that I had an animist worldview and always have, like, I just didn't have the language for it in that way, but that's kind of always been my worldview. So, yeah. so it's very interesting to see that kind of emergency people, you know, um, uh, working with that and exploring that in, you know, in, in different settings and so on. And, you know, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny because so much of my, my magic is urban, you know, mm-hmm. in one way or another. And some of that involves spirits of place and, and spirits of, of that have been here. And, you know, and some of that is comes from the plants and animals that are, that are around. Mm-hmm. And some of that just deals with like the urbanness and the, the energy of people and the flow of 
stuff through the city and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, the river has one kind of magic and the busiest street in town has another, right. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's cool. It is really cool. I remember when I first started, probably when I first started working at Llewellyn was when I became really aware of modern paganism and, mm-hmm. you know, and it was always, Oh, way back that 20 years ago, so much stuff was so, you know, little English cottage in the woods kind of idealized yeah. life. And if you weren't living that, you couldn't really live this life. I mean, I know that's not what the books were saying, but you know, that's how it felt. Mm-hmm. And I did always sure. think there should be more urban, urban-based, urban-based, you know, and Christopher Penzak eventually, I think he's going to wrote um, City Magic or Urban Magic or something like that. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a few books for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's really neat because one of the things that interested me um, was, you know, people would talk about, oh, well, you have to be in tune with the natural world and the earth and da 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 as if anything that's man-made isn't natural and maybe you depending on your definition but in one sense the broadest sense you know is it natural will it exist in the natural world it is physical you know so there is whatever we make is made out of something that existed in the wild or naturally in some form Mm -hmm. or another so to think that the same kind of energy isn't flowing through it. Well, it wouldn't be exactly the same. It would be altered, modified, but you know, someone has to pay attention to that and learn its ways and learn how it works mm-hmm. to, to understand sure. it. Yeah. Well, and ironically enough, now, now you've moved to a little Sufi cottage in the woods, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> so that sort of idyllic thing that people were craving in one way or another is not far from where you've sort of ended up, which is kind it's of amusing. True. It is amusing mm-hmm. because one of the other ridiculous feelings I'm dealing with is I feel guilty, which is just silly because why? Well, because I feel so lucky. Mm. Like I can't. I mean, I look out my kitchen window. Right outside the kitchen window, there are freaking hummingbirds, which you know mm-hmm. in Minnesota that's pretty rare. And further, the trees just beyond, there are egrets in the trees. Um, beyond that are the mountains. I mean, come on. It's just gorgeous. And like I described the laid back lifestyle and stuff, I just feel lucky and I feel sorry for people who don't have it. And like my, one of my sisters, well, both my sisters work so hard and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, like survivor's guilt or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I, obviously your feelings are your feelings, right? Yeah. But, but you know, I mean... I think that if people listen, you know, listen to all of the podcasts that you and I have done together, right? Mm-hmm. That you can see the moments at which you made deliberate choices, right? Mm-hmm. There's the time that I did like around when I did that impossible reading for you and you started yeah. like, you're like, I'm going to start shifting this and shifting that and shifting these other things, you yeah. know? And, and at all these points, you've, you made that choice that would, open that road and take you in those other directions. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, um, it's not as easy as we could all go back to the land and, and, you know, like that kind of thing, like that's totally not true or real. Um, 
but if people if people deeply desired it you know yeah um there there are often choices that could be made in those directions mm-hmm. you know i mean mm-hmm. uh, obviously like privilege and other limits get in the way but you know but but in a general way there we lots of people have this option to sort of choose to make change and choose to go in different directions mm-hmm. and they don't you know right and right. um yeah. yeah. No, you are right. You are right. And that's exactly what Dylan said to me when I mentioned the guilt uh-huh. thing, you know, and sometimes with my um, ridiculous or unhealthy or unproductive feelings, which actually part of my growth, because being able to actually feel and identify these kind of feelings, new, new territory for me mm-hmm. doing so well. Um, but Sometimes it helps to voice them because to say them out loud also helps you to hear how silly they are. And then to have someone say something like, well, yes, you're having that feeling. Um, But as you're dealing with that feeling, remember also, like what you just said, people have choices, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. You are so right. Thank you. Yeah, this is a long ways. Like, I don't remember, but I think maybe our first one might have been me going on and on about truth with a capital T or something like that. I think that's true. Yeah. I think so. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Thank goodness we do these every fall so I can remember the magnitude of this journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Well. I think maybe this is a good spot for us to, to bookmark it until next time. I think so. Yeah. Um, are you, are you uh, still online anywhere? Is there, is there space where people can follow you and stuff? Yes. Yes. Um, my uh, website is uh, Um And my contact information is there. Um and I do blog occasionally as I play with the ideas coming up in this next year, I will probably be blogging more because it'll be a way of uh, playing with the ideas and maybe getting interaction and feedback on them, whatever. So that uh, my email address, you can get from the website, but it's Barbara Moore zero seven at comcast.net. And uh, yeah, totally email me because you know, I'm just here hanging out. I'm not like all busy, busy, busy. So Uh Don't be afraid to write to me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, thank you for making time to be on the show again. As always, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you too. I love it. And I look forward to next year already. <laughs> yes. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, a big thanks to the lovely human beings who have put some wonderful reviews on iTunes for the podcast, please do consider supporting the Patreon. You know, I sound like a PBS ad, but seriously, even a dollar helps. It all adds up towards being able to make all sorts of exciting things happen, both for yourself and for others. So head on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp, or use the link in the show notes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.